0: Welcome to the Mixmasters Podcast, a program created by me, Steve Litcher, live sound engineer for the band Stitched Up Heart. I created this podcast during the COVID pandemic as a means to keep in contact with my friends and mentors from the live sound industry. Touring with Stitched Up Heart has led me to meet some really incredible people, and I wanted to introduce you to their stories. So whether you're an experienced engineer, a hobbyist, or someone who's just wondered what goes into mixing a live music show, this podcast is for you. I've got to thank my friend Merrick Goodwin for this killer intro music. Merritt is the lead guitarist for Stitched Up Heart, and he's an incredible musician and composer. Give him a shout on Facebook at Merritt Goodwin, or on Instagram at Doubt the Trust. Thanks again for joining me. Now let's bring up the faders and start the podcast. My guest for this episode of Mix Masters is Mike Bangs. Mike hails from the Midwest, but lives on the Pacific Coast near beautiful San Diego. Mike has toured as a monitor engineer with some of the world's biggest artists, including Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Eric Clapton, Aerosmith, Kid Rock, George Strait, and more. He's literally shaping everything they hear while on stage, a job that's unbelievably stressful and incredibly important. When he's not touring, Bang serves as the live sound touring manager for Allen & Heath. He's the go-to guy for engineers on the road, and he also teaches courses for the Allen & Heath Academy, an impressive and immersive live education class that traverses the globe. Bangs and I talk at length about his history in the music industry, his philosophies around mixing skills, what it takes to make it as a touring engineer, and of course about the amazing Allen and Heath D live system. I hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did. And now, here's Mike Bangs or Bangs as everyone refers to him. Hey, Mike. I uh, want to welcome you to the Mixmasters Masters podcast, and thank you for being a guest. How are you doing on this fine uh, weekday?
1: Mr. Steve, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, excited to talk about audio.
0: Yeah, me too. It's a good way to pass the time while we are stuck on this uh, little vacation, compliments of the infamous
1: virus. Indeed, air quotes, vacation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, for those not familiar, uh, I think you're living in the San Diego area these days. Uh, is that accurate?
1: I do. I've been here uh, about 17 years now. It's definitely home. I love it here. It's hard to beat.
0: Yeah, I can't blame you. Uh, I mentioned before the podcast that I'm in Madison, and I think pretty much everybody's aware of that. We're having some wonderful storms right now, so I'm envious. I'm guessing it's probably 77 and sunny uh, in San Diego area. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty a uh,
1: pretty easy guess. But I, I will tell you, I grew up in the Midwest, and one thing I do miss is thunderstorms. That's about the the only thing I miss about Midwestern weather. But there's just something glorious about a, a thunderstorm, you know, especially in the in the summer.
0: Yeah, nothing like having your your house windows open, and if it's not raining in, just enjoying the uh, the sound and the the sights. It is great. For sure. Yep. Okay. Well, let's jump into this real quick. So, um, I don't know a ton about you, other than I know that you're with Alan and Heath. You're a phenomenal instructor. You're a guru on all things D Live. Yeah, I've taken a couple classes with you and um, talked to you outside of this. Um, But uh, tell us a little bit about your history and uh, are you a musician at heart or what got you interested in this industry? Where did you start out uh, as a young Mike Bangs?
1: So I did start out uh, in grade school um, as a musician. You know, I watched uh, all of the. you Who's on mtv is it was just becoming a, a new medium and uh, back when they actually had music on mtv and um you know I, I thought wow what a cool thing you know to be a part of and so i wanted i wanted that at least i thought i did i, I learned later that i definitely did not want that but um so i started out you know i uh, wanted to play guitar and uh, played saxophone and um uh, that led to trying to put little garage bands together. You know, pretty typical story that happens with a lot of people. Um, and the uh, the further I got into being a musician, the more I realized that I wasn't that good at it. Um, so I still I still play, but I'm still not that good at it. Um, but I saw an angle in that when I would see these bands play, they had um, they had production value, and that separated them from what me and everyone else I was you know uh, competing. Uh, potentially with, um, around me. And so I thought, you know, if, if I could just have, you know, a little edge, then maybe it wouldn't matter. And, you know, I, I think I was on the right track because there are a lot of people with no talent out there doing big shows, you know, with a lot of production around them. So you can, you can hide a lot of uh, inequity with, uh, with big production values. So I wasn't wrong in that. And, um, so I started, um, trying to figure out ways to, um, you know, to make myself look better than I was and, and my bandmates. Um, and I've always been uh, a heavy researcher. I always, you know, go out and search for things. So, um, and the more that I did that for myself, the more people took notice and asked me, you know, Hey, could you help us with this? You know, how does this work? You know, where do I plug this in? How did you do that? Those kinds of things. And I started doing that more and more and I found a great interest in it. Um, and, uh, I found that I was better at that than I was at playing guitar and and singing. Um, and so that it it all grew organically. I started doing things for my band and then other friends bands and then other local bands. And then I started mixing in, uh, clubs and then theaters and then, you know, just went up, uh, that way and it kind of grew organically. So, um, it's, it's been a long road, you know, from, from middle school till now I'm in my uh, forties. So, um. You know, it's been it's been a heck of a journey.
0: It's a lot of experience under your belt in a lot of different environments.
1: Yeah, and I, I think that's key. You know, people ask me all the time, "How do I? How do I get into this? How do I get good at it?" I mean, when uh, when I teach my classes now, um, that's that's a hard question because it. You know, but I will tell them, and you probably heard me say it because I try and say, it, there's, "There's only one way to get good at this, and that's to do it a lot." You know. Um, I never uh, would, you know, look down on any kind of education. I think education on any subject is is a win. And so there's really no uh, harm in doing any kind of study as long as the uh, information is credible, obviously, um, on the subject. But I feel pretty strongly that you're not going to get good at this by reading a book or listening to someone you know, certainly not from listening to me talk, Uh, you need to, you need to actually do it. And it's through failure um, that, you know, trial and error. And so I'm always a big proponent of experimentation and, you know, not being able, not being afraid to fall down, you know, it's just a show, you know, so hopefully no one's going to die. And, um, you know, there, there's always another one.
0: One of one of my favorite things that I've seen uh, online over the years is the uh, the infamous T-shirt on the back of the engineer, and it says, "I've effed up bigger shows than yours."
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah. words words uh, to I, live by. I
1: have I have tanked a lot of shows. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm proud of it, but I'm not ashamed of it either. It's part of the process. You know, it, it is what happens. I still uh, have a bad show uh, now and then. Uh, I hate to admit the cool thing now, um, that we didn't have before is that now if I have a bad show, I can bring up the multi-tracks and I have, uh, you know, I'm at my house in my kitchen, you know, a couple feet to my right, I have an S5000. I'm pretty lucky in that, in that aspect. Um, so I can pull up the desk that I use on tour and I can pull up my tracks and I can sit down for a few hours and figure out what the hell went wrong, you know, uh, which is, a a thing that we just didn't have before if it was if you had a crap show you had to hope that you didn't get fired and then you know you better not screw up the next one you know yeah
0: it's uh the the ability to multi-track is probably in my opinion um not that that's worth a whole lot uh the biggest i think advancement for helping improve people's mixing for i'm an old school guy started out analog got Mm -hmm. into digital very late in the game and only very recently started using multi-tracks and they've been invaluable during this downtime because I can sit at my house. I've got a 1500 from Allen and Heath, the D live. Um, but just being able to set up the scenes and being able to remix and, you know, try things. It's so invaluable.
1: It would be difficult. I agree with you so strongly. It would be difficult for someone to convince me that there has been anything that has happened for the live audio, um, education environment better than virtual soundcheck. I mean, there's just been, it's, just been a monumental change, and um, again, if you've been through my classes, I just hammer on that you you have to do it now. Like it's it's too good to let go, um, and to not be doing it. Uh, you know, you can you can get a year's worth of experience um, just in a month, just sitting at home. You know, if you can get your hands. I mean, and even uh, very affordable consoles allow you to do it now. So you don't have to have um, you know the the, the biggest thing. You know, you can still and you can do it uh, in the box on a lot of things as well. You know, you you may not have knobs and faders. You're going to be doing a lot of mouse clicking, but it's still valuable information. because Every time you turn an EQ filter and you make a an association in your brain. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I tell everyone, you know, if whether you're going to use DLive or not, download director and just turn the knobs. You know, it's it's valuable information and it's free. So why not? And should you ever find yourself in front of a DLive, then you know where, where everything is. But anytime that you turn a filter on an EQ or turn a threshold on a compressor and you hear what happens and your brain makes an association of an action to a result, it you know, it's monumental um, learning and it's the only way that you're ever going to be able to be effective at mixing in a live environment. You know. Yeah. Because you need that muscle memory, you know. I I can't, it's not because I'm good or talented that I can get through a show. I can get through any situation because I've seen it all before. I've done it a million times. And my body just takes over. It's kind of like, you know, I was discussing with a friend the other day how so many times when I've got a lot on my mind, I'm somewhere and I set off home. And when I get home, I don't know how I got home. My body just kind of took me there, you know, and I'm not intoxicated, I'm dead sober. But Uh, you know, you just kind of go on autopilot and I I do like when I'm mixing, I'm so focused on the art, which I think is important. I think people lose that. And if there's one thing that I could say to young engineers is don't forget that you're participating in an artistic event, that it's not, uh, you know, which is odd because I do preach the science and the physics a lot, but I think that we shouldn't forget what the foundation of the whole thing is. Uh, I was actually having – one of your former guests, my, my dear friend, uh, Drew Thornton, That's uh, awesome. when we call each other on the phone, it's an event. Like w- even if he calls me for a quick question, it's going to be 90 minutes, you know, cause so we just can't. Um, and, uh, one of the things that I was talking with him about, uh, with him yesterday afternoon was, um, you know, I am big on the, is he's going through a lot. He's got a lot of free time on his hands right now. He has a C-1500 at home. He's got Billy's fly rig in his in his living room. Um, and so he's going through his show file and all this stuff. And we're both in agreement that, you know, the science is very, very important. Um, but at the end of the day, my feeling is computers aren't buying tickets, you know? So I don't care. I'll look at, I'll reference the, all of the tools that we have but I always trust my ears above all else because, you know, it's human beings that are there to experience arts. That is what we're supposed to be doing to, you know, earn our living.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I, sorry, I didn't mean to step on you there. The, the no, joys no. of Skype. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, there's nothing, uh, I think the overlays and all of the metering that we have, the ballistics and things that we have available to us these days are phenomenal tools but I think one of the biggest mistakes people can make is just staring at those meters and not really listening to the show. And, you know, they're trying to get everything so linear or, you know, just so that it looks right on the screen. And then if you actually step back and listen, a lot of times, it doesn't sound that great.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, we just launched the SQV uh, 1.5. Um, and one of the big uh, additions is the, um, The uh, frequency response overlay on the parametric EQ, uh, which is a great tool, Um, hands down the most requested um, addition to that platform. Um, And now people are screaming for it in DLive. So um, stay tuned. There's a good chance it just might turn up in DLive. Um, But uh, I I wouldn't use it personally, it's distracting to me. I would turn it off and I'm not telling anyone else not to use it. I, I'm, you know, I, I think everyone should do what's right for them. And it, it is a great tool. I don't disagree with you at all, but to me personally, it would just be distracting, you know, and I, my ears, uh, again, I've got so much, uh, so much mileage on them that they're starting to fade away, but, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I trust them. And I think that it would be difficult for me to mix with that tool engaged because it would you know, it would, it would distract me. You know, yeah. I get distracted more than I would like to admit by curves. And, um, if you've been, um, you know, I have different tirades depending on what comes up during my classes. I, I go down these, these rabbit holes. I'm pretty passionate about, uh, my, my beliefs. So I don't know if you remember that, or if I had a, a, uh, a uh, one of those that day, but, um, staring at, uh, the shapes uh, of the EQ curve on the screen is something that I, you know, lobby against, but I'm guilty of it myself. You know, I, you can't help but stare at the stupid picture. And that's yeah. why I like the D live mode um, where it has just the analog knobs, the values only mode on the bottom of the, of the processing view there. Um, yeah. Cause it takes that distraction away. Um, you know, I always, joke that uh if you're under 30 you're required to use that view of the eq because you know most younger engineers that i run across tend to uh treat a parametric eq like it's an etch-a-sketch and not an audio shaping tool you know so um and uh, one of my one of my biggest pet peeves is this uh fad now of posting photos of your curves on social media and people are mimicking other people's curves and it just it blows my mind like what what benefit could that possibly have to you? Yeah.
0: So, unless you're in the same room with the same artist with the same microphone in the same spot with the same amount of people, I get you. It.
1: Man after my heart. Thank <laughs> you so much for saying that. Yeah. You
0: taught you taught <laughs> <That> me well.
1: <laughs> so that's exactly why um, I have fought vehemently against having presets in the D Live. You know, like factory presets. Um, I think they they give people a, a false sense of security. You know, uh, uh, not that they're without value, but I think that they become dangerous because people put so much weight in them and they think, you know, I just need to use the presets and then that's fine. I mean, they may be helpful as a starting point, but you have to remember that everything is relative. And I think too many people lose sight of that.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So let's jump back into your history here a little bit. So you're, (laughs) no, it's good. This is, this is what I love about this is we get to explore so many subjects and we're not bound to any one area. Um, I do want to comment though, on the, the Epic talks with Drew, every time I talk to him on the phone, we end up talking about something for like 45 minutes. And then I'm like, Oh, by the way, I meant to, the reason I was calling you was because of this.
1: Yeah. I have a, I have a few friends like that. Uh, I have a, a dear friend and mentor, um, James Geddes, who mixed um everybody under the sun uh he did all the jackson brown records he mixed Stevie Ray rayvon texas flood which i think is one of the best records ever recorded um you know but did live for prince and everybody out there um but i was talking with him last night it's the same way like we just get on these things and you just you look down and you're like well uh we've been on the phone for almost two hours and i probably should go back to my wife now <laughs> like you know so um Anyway, so my background, yeah. So I came up organically. I was a club rat. Um, at at some point, I realized that I'd kind of hit a wall, and I wasn't going to go much further. And I always wanted to live in the West, just because I, I love the ocean, and I've just been drawn to it my whole life. Um, so basically, I just packed up, and I uh, moved out West. And I got very lucky to... Um, it was luck, but I also... I, I worked really hard to try and put myself in the right place. And I, I met a few people, um, James being one of them, um, that I mentioned before James got Robert Scoville being another one. Um, uh, was an early mentor of mine. Um, he said to your friend, I, I love the man and I owe him a lot. Um, so I was very lucky to, uh, meet some people, um, that kind of took me under their wing and, uh, opened doors for me. Um, Robert introduced me to Dave Chidone, the owner of sound image uh, again, who is a, a, a someone that I dearly, dearly respect. He's a wonderful man and just an incredible uh, engineer and business owner and uh, very, very important to our industry. Um, there's, you know, there's no way to measure the amount of impact he's had on, on the live audio industry. Um, so I was lucky enough to, uh, Dave gave me a shot. And um, so uh, that's, you know, validated my move out west and uh i started working for them as a touring engineer and um, started doing bigger and bigger tours um and then i had the bright idea that uh audio was fun but being a production manager would be the real uh thing that i wanted to do and so i went out on my own and became an independent production manager and uh started running um, productions and uh I, i both uh bless and curse that decision. Cause some of the best days of my life have been out on shows that I was running. And also some of the hardest moments of my life have been in the same place, you know, like anything else it has ups and downs. Yeah. So I've kind of been all over the place. And then, uh, recently over the past, um, few years, I've gone back to more of a, a mixing thing. You know, I just don't have the, uh, I just don't have the, the hunger to, uh, be under the gun all the time anymore, you know, at this stage in my life. And with the amount of travel and stress related, uh, injury I've done to myself through the years, it's time to chill out a little bit. So I was very lucky, um, that a company that I developed a relationship with as a production manager, um, offered me a job and that was Alan Heath. So they were launching a new product, which we now all know as D Live. Um, they were—they knew that they had something on their hands that was going to change the company and was going to change live audio, uh, because they had never had a product like this before, and you know, um, the world had never seen something at an approachable price point with this kind of horsepower. Um, and uh, so they asked me if I would launch it and try and um, help them find a way into legitimacy in the in the touring market. Because they didn't have any understanding for what uh, was required of a piece of gear on tour. and that's you know what my whole life had focused on. So um, that's what I did, and I, I feel very blessed. It's been a really good match. Um, you know I, I feel very lucky um, to be a part of it, and DLive is continually exciting. Um, but it's also just a really great group of people you know, and that's invaluable. And that's why, uh, you know, the first time they, the first five or so times they offered me the job, I said, no, without even thinking about it, I was like, you know, no, I'm a, I'm a road dog, you know, like, there's no way I'm going to bag that in. I'm I'm not going to be a corporate stooge, you know? Um, and I still feel that way and they love it because they're not a corporate stooge kind of company. You know, the the company is helmed by an audio nerd, and I'm very proud to say that. Dr. Rob Clark is a genius, but he's also very passionate about the industry and about audio in general. Um, He's not so concerned with, you know, counting beans and I think that's really uh really different. Um obviously he's running a company and and takes that very seriously, but I think his heart is so strong in, in audio. And I think that makes a big difference um in the direction of the company and about how all of us feel about what we're doing. You know, um we're passionate about the products and passionate about the brand um not just as a as a business entity but as something that has a potential to make an impact on an industry that we all feel so passionate about. And I, I think we're all kind of in the same plane on that. And it's, it's really wonderful to be a part of. Oh, so that, yeah. that brings us to now. Yeah,
0: no, that's awesome. Um, I do know that you have been, you were one of the earlier adopters to digital technology. So it makes sense that Alan and Heath and D live, you know, would be a great fit for you. But if you think back, um, to your earlier mixing days. What, what was the first digital console you started mixing on?
1: Well, uh, O2R, O1V, the, the little, uh, Yamahas were the first ones to really have any kind of, um, foothold. Um, one of the first, uh, large format ones that I mixed on was an Anova son, um, which was always fun. Uh, and it was a great desk. Um, unfortunately they never had the money to finish it, but, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the younger engineers never even heard of the Nova Sun before. Uh, very few people touched one. Um, but honestly, if you look back at the technology that they pioneered in, in that company, Christian Royer, um, being a phenomenal mind um, for audio, um, I had the honor to meet him. He walked up uh, unannounced and I didn't, recognize him or know who he was. And I'd spoken to him for uh, about 75 minutes before he introduced himself and told me who he was uh, at at the NAMM show, actually. Wow. Um, So that was an honor. Um, And he paid some great compliments to the console. But I do feel strongly that if you look at what that console offered, there was a lot of um, features in there that are now a given on any digital desk. You know, uh, sent on faders, for example, you know, was a big thing that was – kind of, uh, brought forward, you know, I, I'm not going to say that they invented it. Um, but it was, you know, brought forward and, and, you know, kind of, uh, made viable in a, in a live setting. Um, but the, uh, and then onto 5d, um, PM5D kind of took the world by storm. You know, I, uh, as I worked for sound image, as I said, when 5d kind of became a thing, um, and I had already been through all the training with Yamaha, um, no one else in the shop knew how to turn it on. Um, So I was like, I know how to do that. And, uh, you know, that. So I never really wanted to be a, you know, early adopter of digital. I just wanted to work. And I saw, you know, there's still a part of me that, you know, um, might pick an analog desk if I had the right tool for it, you know, because I still do have a lot of love for analog. I miss building racks of outboard gear. And, you know, um, I don't miss lifting it. But, um, you know, there's just something magical about an analog desk and um, the actual, you know, touching actual circuitry is to, there's just something about it. Um, but, it, you know, as we all know, it's just not practical these days. Um, so, you know, I, but I didn't go kicking and screaming into digital like a lot of my peers did. You know, a lot of people held out as long as they could and then they found themselves out in the cold. Um, And I really just wanted to work. And especially when I was younger, um, um, I was kind of like, I'll do anything, you know. And if there's one piece of advice that I always give to young engineers when they ask me, how do I get into this? You have to be willing to do anything. Um, Clean puke off a feeder. That's what you're going to do for a while, you know. I have touched some really disgusting stuff. and You know, you just have to get over it and move on. And that's just, you know. You just can't ever say no to anything. Yeah. Um people are like, "Well, how do you get a job at a big sound company? You have to pester the crap out of them and just not go away and be willing to do something. And they're going to tell you to f off three hundred times until one day someone doesn't show up for one reason or another, and they're like, "You, I've seen you before. Get in here." you know, and that's how people get, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, that's how people get jobs. Um, so it you know it it takes, it
0: takes a lot. It's a thousand uh, percent true. Uh, you know, Pooch uh, was, has been a guest and I think everybody's familiar with his story, but he went to a recording studio while he was going to Berkeley and said, I'll sweep your floors. I'll do anything that you want me to do. Just give me the chance. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, producing Grammy nominated, yeah. you know, recordings. And the same thing And with how he got touring was he happened to be at the right place when Warrant needed a sound guy. And all of a sudden, you know, he's touring with Warren, So your point is spot on. And yeah, it just echoes everything that we we've heard. I think people need to hear it more often though. So I'm, I'm super glad you brought that up.
1: Yeah. And as I said, I got, I got very lucky. I had a much easier path into the big game than most people do, you know, but I did put in my time for a long time before that doing awful shows, you know, um, you know, uh, drew, for example, you know, he's doing one of the biggest artists on the planet right now. Uh, but he didn't just, you know, happen into that. He has been grinding and grinding and honing his craft, um, for a very long time and doing it very quietly and unbecoming, you know, and, uh, you know, he's one of the sweetest guys out there too. And that's just really important just to, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you want to be on tour with me, um, I can teach you how to do the job, but I can't, teach you not to be an a-hole you know so um that's one of the things that i've had to learn myself um people that that uh toured with me in the past will will laugh at me making that statement because i had a bit of a reputation for being uh difficult you might say um and i've been trying to shake that ever since i've kind of had a few life epiphanies so yeah again if if i could share anything just be nice you know Um, it makes things a lot easier there are a lot you know I'm hoping that, that we can see the grumpy sound guy um, stereotype go away in my lifetime. You know? Um, so anything I can do to, uh, to help that thing. Agreed. Uh, I'm doing <laughs> end. Yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, PM5D uh, then on to um, Avid. I did work with Robert when uh, they launched the uh, D show um, actually unpacked the first one in his driveway. Um set it up in his office while he was away, and um, you know played around with that and um, was a was a fan and um, you know then uh, spent a lot of time on Digico. Um, so I've been you know I've been on all of them, and I still do if there's something new or a new firmware update, um, I'll go and find one at one of my sound company friends and I'll see what's new with it. You know, I have all the editors and I think that's important that you understand. I mean i have I have chosen my tool clearly know, but there are a lot of good tools out there, and uh, I try and be knowledgeable about all of them, um, if for nothing else, so that I can say why my tools better. Uh, you know, so um, but there's some. It's it's a very exciting time to be in live audio because we have so many options and so much great, uh, so many great things available to us that we just didn't have before, and also it's accessible to the to the every person you know, yeah. uh, where it wasn't the case before. Yeah. Uh, it was cost prohibitive for even for a band to own their own mixing console. You know, unless you were a big band, you, I mean, it was a lot of money. I mean, it's been the same thing in making records, you know, um, Billy Eilish and, and Phineas made that entire record in their bedroom, you know, with affordable equipment that, that almost, I mean, they're not wealthy people or they weren't anyway. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're on their way now. Um, but, uh, you know, it it's phenomenal that those kinds of things are possible in in this day and age. And that's you know, um, you can get a very uh, affordable digital mixer, and you can you know mix multi tracks at home and practice. It's, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, yeah, uh, I am am envious of the of the young people starting now, and I just I hope that they take advantage of these tools. You know,
0: or they don't take them for granted. You know, and I think that's a, another danger potentially
1: true there is yeah there's two sides to that coin for sure oh, wow. i i think um i think it's important that people you know i always push on the physics in my classes to make sure that people understand that i i, I have an issue with what i call video game mixers or they you know they just you know they learn how to like they know how to they know how to drive in grand theft auto but if you put them behind a real car of course they would crash and kill people um and that's not the way that, that we should be running audio. So there is that danger for sure. Um, and that's why, uh, I, you know, I, someone was dumb enough to give me a venue to voice my opinions. And so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw them out there and make sure that, uh, that, uh, people can, uh, you know, hopefully, um, learn some science and backgrounds. Uh, I've been lucky enough to commission a few DLive systems, uh, at a handful of high schools around the, the country. And I'm happy to say that I've been to more than a couple of these programs where they're teaching production in high schools now. That was not an option when I was a kid. So it's amazing yeah. that's happening. And every one of them that I've been to um, starts out the process with a small analog desk and then a slightly bigger analog desk. And then they eventually have to work their way up to where they're touching um, an SQ or a D live. And I think that's amazing. I I think that kind of foundation is important. So I I hope more people will do that.
0: Oh, that's huge. Yeah. That's really awesome.
1: It's very encouraging to see, especially at a high school level. Again, I'm just envious of these kids, 16 years old and being able to have their hands on, you know, and they're, it's cool because they generally work in tandem with the uh, drama program, um, at the school. So, the, uh, the, the drama students are putting on performances and then all of the production work, um, whether it be set building or lighting or anything, which are all valuable trades that, you know, we all have great respect for, um, that normally you don't have a path into, um, are being brought forward at a very young age in these, um, in these school programs. So it's, it's really cool to see.
0: Yeah. Just to show you how out of touch I am, um, when I was in high school, I, I, was responsible for our school getting school getting our first sound system. I wanted to learn recording. Talked my band teacher into buying a mixing console. He applied for a grant and got a 16-channel PV with the wood grain sides and everything. And uh Probably a
1: powered mixer, too. It
0: was, yeah. It had 400 yeah. watts per channel, you know, two, yeah, well. two nine-band <laughs> EQs. I thought I was, you know, living large at that point. But, um, oh, you were? And then I went back to that school, you know, a couple of years ago, and I was shocked to see a, a line array hanging in there and a, a Yamaha uh, CL5, I think it was, sitting at the front of house position. Same auditorium that I mixed in, you know, 25, 30 years ago. But then, yeah. you know, they've even this tiny little town that I grew up in is, you know, escalated into something like that. It's It's unreal to me.
1: That's that's awesome, though. I mean, that's great to hear. That's not the case at a lot of schools. Certainly not uh, not any of the ones that I went to. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um, So, okay. Uh, you've done a lot of touring and you've worked on a lot of different desks. You've worked with groups like Aerosmith and Tom Petty and Eric Clapton and Kid Rock. And, you know, the list is pretty huge. Did you make all those connections and get into the touring through Sound Image, or how did you actually get into like large-scale, large-format touring like that? Yeah, to get
1: that was uh, the pivotal moment where I went from doing regional stuff into doing major tours was when I started to work for Dave for Sound Image. That really it was like uh, like flipping a light switch, basically, oh. uh, where I uh, just got the got the door open to the the big time. Yeah, it was. Uh, 100% due to my uh, my employee at sound image.
0: Do you have so, a, a favorite first big tour that you did? Does any of them jump out as being like your favorite from those days? Uh, people
1: ask me all the time what my favorite tour was. I mean, uh, I consider it an absolute honor to have been lucky enough to stand on the stage with the Heartbreakers. I mean, that's just like a uh, um, uh, unbelievable thing. I still think they're the best rock band that's ever. You know, uh, certainly the best live band I've ever seen. Um, and just un- unbelievable people too, but you know, they all, they all have such tremendous memories, even the ones that had a lot of negativity or heartache in them. Um, there's only one that I wish had never happened and I'm not going to say which one that is cause it's just, um, but, uh, there, there's one that I could just completely forget. Um, but there are, that's great because there's only one and there are yeah. dozens that, you know, I just think about and smile more than anything you know? Um, so it's hard to pick a favorite, but you know, um, I, I can't say that I have a favorite. They all have, you know, tremendous memories and you know, the, the show is a big thing, but the people is a big thing too. I mean, when you're, that's one thing that people don't realize is that when you're on tour with someone, I mean, you're basically a family, you live with them, you eat with them, you know, and you obviously work with them. You know, it's a, it's, it's pretty intense, you know, and you, you develop these relationships with people and then, sometimes, you know, you see them every day for six months and then you may never see them again, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty intense. Like, um, it, it's, it's hard to get used to yeah. that kind of, uh, give and take, it's just part of the job, you know? Um, people, uh, all are like, oh, you have such a cool job. You know, I want to do that job. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not saying it's not a cool job, but it comes at you know, it doesn't come without a cost. Like every job, it has ups and downs. You know, yeah. it's not, uh, it's not what it looks like on TV. We work our ever loving asses off. You know, people don't realize that we regularly do 18 hour days. Um, and, uh, that's just part of the game, you know, and I rarely will take on any kind of, mentoring relationship because I've had a lot of situations where people think it's going to be a big party and they just want to, they want to be on tour so they can hang around bands and meet girls or, you know, whatever their twisted motivation is. Um, so, and they don't realize how hard it is. And then they get out there and they're like, well, this has actually worked. Screw this. You know, like, I'm going to go be a DJ, you know? So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because people don't realize, um, what really goes into it. You know, it's fascinating to me how few people out in the world even know or recognize the fact that when they go to a concert, everything that they're looking at was not there the night before. Right. You know, Uh, most people don't realize. I think the band just walks out there and, uh, you know, brings their guitar and plugs it in and starts playing. And it's like, you don't even get it. Um, I, I've almost never done front of house. I'm not a fan of doing front of house. You know, um, and we make a lot of jokes, you know, about which end is better. And, you know, it's, we, we rib each other. It's not that I just, to me, um, I just feel more comfortable on stage. Um, but the reason why I brought it up is because uh, most people don't even realize that there is such a thing as a monitor engineer, you know, everyone can see the front of house. They're like, Oh, that's the sound guy, you know, sitting in the middle of the crowd. Um, they don't realize that the the band has got their own thing going on and their own, you know? Um, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm not a person that needs uh, any kind I'm actually quite uncomfortable with compliments and accolades. And maybe that's why I like to stand quietly on the side of the stage and not be out front. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. The, uh, the, the lack of awareness that people have in, in what it is that we do, but. Oh yeah. That's
0: okay. Yeah. It's uh, and I also think a lot of people aren't aware, uh, you know, we, there is a lot of hard work that goes into a tour and, and the daily grind. But then also I think what's equally hard is, all of the hurry up and wait type of scenarios, you know, like, especially if you're not the headliner, you're the direct support, like, like I've been on tours, uh, you spend a lot of time waiting for the green light and then you're going a thousand miles an hour and then you're down again. (laughs) It's really crazy.
1: It is. It's a, it's definitely, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. it, It takes, it takes a special person, you know, um, you have to be kind of a sadist, I think for one, you know, you have to be willing to, uh, roll with the punches for sure.
0: Absolutely. But
1: but it is, as you know, incredibly rewarding. Um, if, if your heart's in it, you know? So I, I mean, that was a very long answer to your question, but I have love for 99.9% of the tours that I've done have all been very special to me in one way or another, you know? And I, uh, I, not only the personal experiences, but that's, um, you know, that's what made me who I am professionally is those experiences and the, the successes and failures that I had during those times, you know, and it's still going on. You know, I'm still trying to figure out how to mix, um, you know, uh, hoping one of these days I might be able to, uh, you know, not have a bad show once in a while, but uh, it still happens. So,
0: yeah I feel your pain uh it's it's humbling uh because you can always do something a little better, and I think we're all we are all our own worst critics um so i'm I'm sure if you were really truly that bad, uh you wouldn't be working with the heartbreakers or Aerosmith and those guys
1: yeah i again, I've been very lucky yeah you know, I suckered people into uh thinking that uh I, that they needed me around. Um, but it's funny because I'm getting all of these, uh, we, as you said, we all do think we can do better. And I, I, I do have an S5000 in my kitchen and I point that out and I joke about it, but it it is, it's important to me because whether I'm coming off of a show or going into a show, I'm going to practice that show. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm prepared. Um, I didn't have that option before. Um, so it was not a conversation to be had. It was, I was just going to show up and mix. But now that that is an option, you better believe I'm going to take full advantage of it, you know, yeah. whatever I can do. And even if I wasn't, you know, an employee, that if I didn't work for Alan Heath and I wasn't, you know, in a, uh, a project or a product development uh, role, I wouldn't have this here. Um, but, uh, I still would go somewhere, you know, for at least a couple hours. Um, it's one of the things that I do a lot is facilitates, Um, because I'm the touring markets manager for Alan Heath and um, basically I do relationship management um, for engineers and for um, sound companies and um, that are in the in the touring realm and one of the things that I do a lot is facilitate um, console access for engineers that have a fly date coming up or something like that so that they can get in um, and touch a desk and run multi-tracks in advance of a show, you know, where normally they wouldn't, they would just have to show up and, and throw and go, you know, now you can, you can have two days of rehearsal, you know, and through the wonders of multi-tracks, you don't even have to deal with musicians. So it's, you know, it's fantastic. You can actually get some work done and uh, be prepared.
0: Uh, it's, what's uh what's one of the things that you find yourself showing an, an engineer who hasn't worked with DLive before? what What are some of the things that you really try to highlight with them and and point out when they're just hopping on the desk for the first time?
1: Um, it's usually the uh, flexibility of the workflow because that took me a while myself as an engineer. I mean, I would talk about these things um, with other engineers when I was listing features. But as an actual engineer, as a user in my day-to-day work, I wasn't using, it took me a long time before I actually started benefiting from a lot of the flexibility of the DLI platform. And I think um, I, I thought a lot about it and uh, through all of the engineers that I trained and all the relationships that I've built along with my own work, I realized that we've all been so handcuffed by other people's workflow for so long that we've just accepted crap, uh, workflow, you know? And so you kind of be like, well, I'm used to it not being good. So I don't think about trying to make it better. And there are so many things that you can do on D live. Once I opened myself to the possibility of, you know, doing song specific, um, fader layout changes and song specific soft key changes and, Having this move here for this on and that, you know, having things flying all over the place so that everything was always in the best position, that wasn't an option before. Um, and D Lite makes it so easy, but it is—it's difficult, you know. When I go out and train engineers that are coming off of other products, I'm like, yeah, you can just put anything anywhere you want. There's no, you know, where do you want your DCAs? Well, I, I don't know. Like, I'm um, so used to being forced into them; they have to be right here. And there are, you know, there are other desks that you can put anything anywhere, but none that make it as easy to do it and as quick and as seamless. And also, you know, where it's actually feasible to have so much stuff moving, like from song to song, for example, Um, and without any audio stoppage, which is, you know, there's no configuration mode where you have to, you know, put the desk on standby to be able to move things around and have audio stoppage. So it takes people a while so what I usually do is I'll set it up the way that their last desk was, um, just to get them going and get them comfortable. Um, but then I'm always kind of pushing the, you know, in conversations. I'm like, so have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And then hopefully I can nudge them over time into taking advantage of it. Cause it really did make the biggest difference for me too. Once, once I shed those handcuffs that now the, the world is your oyster, and I, it has really dramatically sped up um, my workflow. And, and being a monitor engineer, that's very that's pivotal, you know, being able to get to things, a lot of things very quickly. Um, so, you know, I run um, my top two layers are all inputs. Um, I don't have bus faders anywhere in, in Prime Real Estate. But I don't need them. Um, and again, that took me. I had had 12 faders just parked at zero for two and a half years before i realized wait a minute i don't have to do that every other desk made me do that i don't have to do that on here i can get rid of those and i can have more inputs yeah and that's just what works for me um so that's the biggest thing is just the the flexibility of the workflow and how th- all these things at the end of the day are tools you know and I felt like always before for the tool. And the reason why I'm so passionate about D-Live is because the really the first time in my professional career that I felt like the tool was working for me and that it, you know, that it was going to do exactly where I wanted, do what I wanted it to do and be where I wanted it to be when I wanted it to be there, you know? And so it was a, a revelation. And so I tried... You know, impress that on people. But there are a lot of things, especially with my touring um, folks, the um, the size variation is a huge thing. I mean, being able to go C1500 to S7000, you know, and anything in between with one show file, no conversion, no change in bus count or channel count. No one else offers that, um, and that's a big deal um, because it's a pain in the butt. I won't call anybody out by name, but if you're on other platforms, you know that those kinds of things can be a struggle and you have to get your exact model or it's going to be a pain in the butt and you may have to give things up or this isn't going to work or you know those kinds of things and there are none of those worries you know Um, i hate to keep harping on drew but he goes back and forth between c15 and s5000 all the time um and you know he'll be the first one to tell you it's it's a non-issue it's it doesn't matter um i had a i had a trucking issue um my my current show I, I do monitors for a country artist and um i mix on s5000 because i can i'm lucky i can have whatever i want uh but we had a trucking issue and uh my s5 surface um was stuck on a truck and i just happened to be carrying a c15 um because why not and i pulled it out and i was the front of house guy was like you can't do the show on that and i was like the hell I can't watch me, you know, I'll, I'll do it on here. 80 inputs, you know, 26 mixes, whatever, bring it. I'll do it on this thing. Just like I do on it. the same desk. Uh, again, he was like, I don't even see how that's possible. You know, it really doesn't make a difference all because they're all the same. And that's, that's a big deal. And again, it's something that's very unique. So those would probably be the, the biggest things that I try and point out. Um, you know, it sounds great. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of wonderful onboard tools. You know, the um, phase coherency is fantastic. It gives you a lot of freedom to do uh, routing um, things that would get you in trouble in other desks. You know, um, those are all wonderful things. Um, but I think the most striking things for me would be those those two.
0: Yeah, your point about the uh, you know the 1500 being big enough to do 80 inputs and 26 mixes. You know, I, I marveled at Drew because he's I think he's managing almost 100 or over 100 inputs with Billy and he's doing it with 1500 and I just couldn't figure out how he was doing that. I've, I've used DLive for uh, a couple of years now and I used to have a C3500 um, when I had a production company that was active and then I downsized to the 1500 and I was like how am I ever going to get 12 faders to do everything that I did but to your point you just need to unthink of the way that you've been setting it up in the past Yeah, because you can do anything and it, it really is phenomenal.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the DCA spills on soft keys is the key to doing high channel count. And so instead of, instead of using the, if I'm on a C15, I don't use the bank switches at all. The, the ABCD uh, layers. Um, I'll just have um, groups Of uh, And not audio groups, but uh, blocks of channels. I have to be careful with my nomenclature because people call me out on it and rightfully so. Um, But I have uh, sets of um, inputs and outputs, effects, returns, whatever you may. And instead of having to flop up and down through the layers on the bank, I just push a socky that brings me what I want immediately. And it's so fast and it doesn't matter. If you only have twelve faders at that point, right? Um, Drew actually made a statement in a video that we did um, on a rig rundown where he said, you know, he feels like if you can't be efficient in twelve faders, and there's something wrong with the workflow of your console. Yeah, uh, you know, I, not my words, um, but I definitely agree with him.
0: Yeah, who uh, are we to argue with him?
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I, I'll definitely take more faders. You know. Uh, Because I've got a lot going on, and I think we're all the same way. But if push comes to shove, I got no issue with what's going on with C15. I I love my C15. Yeah. Um, Looking forward to uh, getting a Cti. Oh man, don't
0: yeah, don't get me start. Don't get me started about that thing. I'm I'm in love with it too. But I just I literally bought my C1500 about a week before Nam. And uh, yeah. Well, they
1: still. You know, I still don't have one. So there's only one in the world at the moment, Uh uh, which is one that was at Nam. So don't feel bad. You've been getting to enjoy your desk while the other one is uh, not, not yet fully born. I hope we hope to have them uh, in the next few weeks. Uh, This whole uh, global situation has certainly slowed everything down. So, yeah. uh, But it also, uh, I was very distraught because I I was thinking, you know, if we don't get this thing, we're going to, blow it and we're gonna we're gonna miss the touring season and now it's a non-issue i mean so i you know i want to say that's a good thing but i'm trying to find some kind of you know uh, positivity in, in and yeah the titanium
0: all li- lining in the cloud
1: yes exactly so <laughs> yeah we have we have some time uh you know we're doing the same thing with the uh next firmware version for d live um people were very anxious to get it out i was very anxious to get it out but i'm very um thankful now that, um, we're, it's going to be a lot bigger deal now that we've had some time, um, to really work on it, um, without the, uh, the pressures of, um, looming touring season. So, uh, 1.9 is going to be special. And, um, I think, you know, and we're still just getting started with this thing. We have so many more things that we want to do. Um, I'm so thankful. We're all, so I, sh- I shouldn't say me because it's all a big team. Uh, we're all so thankful for people like you, all of our users, our community is so strong and it's, it, it never ceases to amaze me. And that's why this platform is so good. It's because we let you guys tell us what to do with it. And um, it's, it's been such a cool experience where I had, you know, experiences with every other manufacturer out there, where you know you get a little notoriety and they might send you an email, hey, you know, uh, we, we'd like to ask you some questions about your workflow and things like that, and it's an honor to be asked. Uh, but I know myself and in conversations with my peers that almost never is any of that stuff realized, and certainly not in a timely manner. You know, there are there are features on Desk that I spent many, 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 uh, months on, um, that my peers are still on. And the things that we were saying four years ago are still a big problem. And it's you know, it's like, why, when all of the most noteworthy people that are using it are saying the exact same thing, why the hell don't you do something about it? You know? And, um, we take that responsibility very seriously. And that has been a, a, a very cool thing to be a part of uh, I've mentioned it a few times um, that one of the greatest things that I've experienced is going to Coachella and going to Bonnaroo and these other festivals and the guys that mix on D-Live are all in catering, eating lunch together. Like you're not going to see that. Like I've never experienced anything like that on that, like that before it's, and it wasn't planned. It just happened. You know, they're just all passionate about the project because um, we've opened the doors and said, you know, this, this is your thing. You guys, you guys make it good, you know, and we'll, we'll try, we're just trying our best to hang on and steward it, you know, and keep up, frankly. Yeah. Um, you know, there are several hundred valid features on the implement list and, you know, we're trying our best to do every damn one of them, but you know, the, the poor guys in software can only type so fast. You
0: know? it, it blows my mind that the system has that much, uh, headroom, you know, and I, that's sort of the wrong word to use, but that it has that much, uh, you know, runway wow. ahead of it that it can do that.
1: Yeah. And, and it, uh, headroom is a perfect term. Um, you know, it's, it's what, you know, they had the foresight and that happened before I came in. Um, but that basically came from, uh, experiences from, past products that they learned where, you know, they had so much more they wanted to do and they crashed into a wall with the hardware and they yeah. wanted to make sure that they weren't going to run out of gas on this desk. And so they went, they went super big um, so that, you know, everything else may fall down around it, but they can, you know, they're not going to hit this wall where you've got a great idea, but we can't do it. Wow, that's awesome. Uh, so, I mean, obviously there's no such thing as, you know, uh, a product that's not going to go obsolete, but they, they tried their, darnest to you know make that a long way out. You know. Uh, it's, we're still having so much fun with it.
0: Yeah. Oh I learned something new on the desk almost every day. You know, I'll try something and I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I could do that. So it is it's awesome. So I can't wait for 1.9. That's gonna be uh sounds like it's gonna be really exciting.
1: Well and the great thing too is that now that we have Avantis, um those two uh are very um very close in DNA. Um, so as you know, and it's a, it's a separate revenue stream, um, but the, the two things will feed each other and they'll come up together. So as, as D-Live continues to grow, Avantis will grow, which will push d Lite, which will push Avantis. And so it'll be this kind of ladder effect. And I, I think that adding that product is very exciting um, because it's just going to buoy the entire platform, which again, pulls SQ up also, um, you know, uh, because it gets all the trickle down, um, stuff from the, from the higher platforms. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting, an exciting time. Yeah. I could
0: go, I could talk to you probably for a couple hours about D live and I'm sure you'd love it. But for the rest of the people listening who are on D live, uh, I'll just say, go, go check it out, uh, download director, fall in love with it and then place an order because you will not regret it. But, um, so can we, we'll go back to touring here real quickly, Because uh, yeah. I'm taking up a lot of your time, and I do want to let you go here at some point. But um, I could
1: do this all day, so it's all <laughs> on your And people are going to get tired of us eventually. Yeah.
0: Um, so when you're when you're doing monitors and you're you're doing a, a major tour and you're working with the artist, um, can you walk us through your role as a monitor engineer with them? What are you doing before the show to sort of understand what they what they're looking for? And then during the show, what are you really listening to and, and what are you focusing on uh, to make sure that they have a good show?
1: So when I, I, I actually teach seminars in modern engineering and, um, you know, I you mentioned it in the beginning and I, I've mentioned it a couple times um, that I do teach a lot now, which is really odd because I never in a million years would have thought that that was even possible. Like if someone asked me if I would be a teacher, I'd say not only... No, but hell no. Like I have zero interest. I don't want to do it. I don't have the patience for it. I wouldn't be good at it. You know, none of that, but man, am I having fun with it? It's just like, and it, it, I hope in my, in my heart, I keep telling myself that this is my way of paying it forward and giving it back. So I hope I'm doing some of that because that's important to me. I, I owe a big debt to the people that I named earlier throughout this. And I really, um, you know, hope that I can continue to to pay that forward. Um, but when I teach my uh, monitor mixing classes, generally the first thing that I will say is that doing monitors is 60 or 70% psychology and 30 or 40% technology. And I think the most important thing uh, when you're doing monitors is remembering that you're in a service position, number one. Your opinion is irrelevant. Um, you're paid to guide, but at the end of the day, what they want is the only thing that matters. Um, but also that, uh, you have to respect the fact that when an artist steps on stage, they're putting themselves in a very vulnerable position. And if you've ever stood behind a microphone in front of a large crowd, that's a big deal. And again, that not many people can do that. You know, people are like, oh, I want to be a pop star. You couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle it. I don't know you well enough to say I was speaking to the public in general. I know I couldn't handle it. You know, Um, I'm completely immune to walking out on stage in front of huge crowds and, you know, speaking, you know, if there's a, uh, you know, an emergency or something like that, whatever, but that's completely different than going out there and burying your soul as an artist. That is, that really takes a lot. And um, so the most important thing that you have to do as a monitor engineer is earn their trust um, because they, are putting all of everything kind of lays on you. If you blow it, um, their performance will very uh, significantly suffer, you know, if not completely come undone. It depends on the performer. Some are much more prepared to carry on without it, some will just stop playing. And that's if something's wrong with my monitors, show is not continuing until this problem is solved. And I've worked with the gamut, you know. Um, but none of them like it when, you know, it's, it's, even if they play it off, um, like, you know, like it's a casual moment, it's definitely not, it's a, it's a big stress. So, and I, you have to take that trust relationship very seriously. So that, and that's before we're even talking about consoles or microphones or anything. Um, it's respecting their position and how vulnerable, you know, I don't care if you're super famous. I don't care if you're Paul McCartney or if you're, this is your first show. I'll treat you the same because I know what you're, you know, I know what kind of position you're in. I know how, you know, you're feeling and I know how difficult it is to go out and put yourself in that position. And so I I take that very seriously that, you know, um, they are counting on me to, you know, get their back. So that's, Panamount, number one. And I can't imagine anyone having a career or a position as a monitor engineer for very long if you can't earn someone's trust in that way. I think that's got to be paramount. So, um, and then, you know, as I said before, humility is a big thing. Um, And then when you get into, once you get past that, um, then it all comes down to the technology side of things. Um, and to me, it the most important thing is to know your tools inside and out. Does't matter what console you're using. doesn't matter what microphones you're using, but you need to do your homework. Um, I'm lucky I actually enjoy reading product manuals. I do it, you know, even if no one was paying me. you know I, I as I said before, I download offline editors and play with them for six hours and like don't eat dinner because i'm like staring at an offline editor and someone's like you haven't eaten in, in a day and a half I'm like oh yeah. crap I'll eat. so i'm just kind of wired that way but no matter what you need to know your stuff backwards and forwards because um trying to find things or figure things out you cannot do that when an artist is staring at you so you need to be uber prepared i mean way more and you can get away with Again, I'm not going to go down the whole joke or no joke. I'm not going to go down the whole uh, path of, you know, what job is harder or better or any of that between front of house and monitors. They both have their own, um, caveats. Um, but you can get away with a lot more at front of house than you can at monitors, um, for, if, for nothing else, because it's their song and they know every in and out of it. And if something's not right, they're going to notice it immediately um and call you out on it hopefully so well,
0: um and generally speaking physics are working against you as a monitor engineer because you've got a wedge you know blasting
1: air in ears have been the greatest gifts yeah that we ever got um and if there's anyone out there that's still you know an artist that's still using wedges get over it yeah person you're you're blowing it you know uh if you think in ears sound like crap or they sound isolated or, you know, anything, all of the things that I hear people say about in that's because you don't have a good engineer that understands what they're doing. That's the only thing you're missing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I've, I've made a career out of converting people that said that they would never go on in because they're awful for one reason or another, you know, and then you show them and they're like, Oh my gosh, like, where have you been my whole life? Where has this been my whole career? You know? Yeah. Um, so that's been, you know, uh, as, as big for monitor engineers as virtual sound tech has been for all of us is, you know, in years. And I, I still do wedges. I still have a bunch of them. Um, I've got a, a bunch of, uh, M twos on my, on my stage, um, uh, my country band. And so then they're freaking loud, but, uh, but we usually have 400 ish boxes of line array, uh, in the air. So I don't really have to worry about, did you, did you uh, say
0: 400? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, we play stadiums in the round.
0: Wow. So there's
1: usually, uh, yeah, 400-ish combination of K1, K2, uh, Kudo, you know, those kinds of boxes all hung around. So I I have a lot to compete with. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I'm the, you know the uh, front of house guy that I work with on that particular tour is, is very cool that, you know, we have a great relationship and if I'm having a problem, I go to him and he'll have his SE do something about it, you know? Um, because he gets it, you know, if, if my thing falls over, the whole thing falls over, you know? Um, so I may get fired, but you know, the situation is still going to persist. So, uh,
0: I was going to jump in real quick. I was going to say the, the, you know, the flip side of the coin on the, 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 the technology sort of working, the physics working against you. You've got wedges in a lot of instances, but then to your point, if you're on in-ears, that's also sort of working against you because they can hear every little thing that you happen to miss or don't do or what they want to hear. It's, it's right in their head.
1: You got to be on your game within ears. Yeah. There's no, there's no cheating. There's no uh, getting away with stuff on in-ears. They're very, very honest. Um, one of the ways, and that's one of the things that uh, I don't like about them. They don't like how exposing they are, um, and what people. Uh, if there's one thing that I could give as a as a tip um, for a secret sauce um, for most moder- for most people that are going on in years is effective ambient miking. Um, that's than what has made the difference. Um, and I, I, spend a lot of time, I do a lot of consulting for churches and all kinds of management companies and things like that. And, um, usually when people are having, uh, problems with their in-ears, it's because number one, they they don't understand phase relationships, um, and or they have too slow of a mixer. And so they've got a, a latency issue, usually because they're putting 45 plugins in front of someone's vocal, um, cause someone told them that was a good idea. So that's a big issue. And then the other main, um, hurdle that people are, are fighting is the ambience issue. Uh, I am the only person that I am aware of that does, um, that approaches it the way that I do. And I'm not saying that that makes me better, but it has, um, it has greatly impacted me being able to be effective at my job. And that's, um, I don't treat, I don't do Uh, air quotes, crowd mics, or, um, you know, audience mics. Um, I do ambient mics, I would even call them trash mics, because that's what they're picking up. My philosophy is that if I'm, if I'm a musician, you know, I'm used to hearing things a certain way. So before I go out and work on someone's mix, I'm going to stand where they stand with, with no in ears in, And I'm going to listen to the drum kit and the instruments. And I'm going to hear what they're hearing and feel the energy that they would be feeling. And then after I've absorbed that as my point of reference, and I'm going to go back to my mixer and I'm going to try and give them that in their in-ears. So they, they feel like they're on a live stage. They can hear their bandmates, you know, huffing and puffing. They can hear all of the weird things that make it feel like you're playing in a band you know, that, that you're not in cans, in a booth, in a studio, making a record. I don't know any musicians really that like that kind of isolation feeling. I mean, that's not usually why you get into a band, you know? Um, I don't see any point in miking the crowd. The crowd is always going to be in everything, you know? Um, if, if you can't hear the crowd without crowd mics, then you don't have a very effective band because, you know, <laughs> that you know uh, there's there's an artist that I work for and again I won't say who it is but the the audience mics were always always an issue and the issue was that the crowd wasn't making any freaking noise and it's like uh you know there was more mics and mic placement and this and that and I'm like okay you know we can keep playing this game and going down this road but you know that's not going to change the fact that you're not exciting the crowd you know, obviously you can't say that you just have to try and do your, but the point is you shouldn't need crowd mics. They're, they're kind of everywhere. And if you effectively place, you know, uh, ambience mics, then they're going to have tons of crowd in them anyway. And uh-huh. if I needed to, maybe I would put additional crowd mics, but the main focus for me is to have controllable ambience. And there are a lot of people that will do things like get ears in your, uh, pieces that have holes drilled in them or, um, uh has their ambient 3ds, uh, which is cool tech nightmare for a monitor engineer. I will fight to the death to have my artist not use them because it blows the point of reference between the engineer and the, and the artist because he is hearing something completely he or she is hearing something completely different than what I'm hearing. So what am I mixing to? I have, I have no, we've, we've, you know, put a brick wall in between us and it makes the monitor uh, position very ineffective. So, if I have control of the mics and we're both getting them, then, um, then I have my point of reference back and you, we both win. So I have, I have done binaural, uh, arrangements on people's vocal mic stands. I put boundary mics on the stage. I put uh, large diaphragm condensers in the middle of the stage. I've clipped, um, hypercardioid, um, condensers to, uh, back backing vocal stands. Every situation is different. Like I said, People always ask me, well, how do you do it? There's no, that's my secret sauce, but there's no like instant answer to it. It's like how I can't tell you what microphone to put on a kick drum or what compressor to put on, on a vocal because every situation is different, but what you have to do is go and put yourself in their space and then absorb that as best as you can. And then use your knowledge of tools to try and recreate that for them um, and give them back that energy that they would otherwise be lacking. Um, and I am yet to have a situation where that didn't completely change, um, the experience for, uh, a musician, wow. especially a lead singer, you know, yeah. that, that all over the place. So
0: how do you, um, how do you come to the point where you know, you've got the ambient mics where you want them? Are you, are you getting a lot of rehearsal time with the artist or how, how does that relationship work?
1: Um, you, it, it, it depends. Um, I will try it. I always try to get what I need from the artist, but again, now with virtual, um, I get a lot more work done with virtual than, than with the artist actually there. I mean, I joke about it, but it's honest. I mean, I don't really do much during the actual sound check. Um, I have multi the sound check and then that's where, you know, then I go back later, uh, and, and do my actual work. I got 13 people trying to get my attention. I don't have time to be doing critical listening on compression Um, while that's going on and I can't be looking down at the desk, I need to be looking up at my band. Uh, Um, and again, same thing during showtime, you know, I can't, I'm not making big decisions like that at showtime because I can't lose focus on the show, you know? Um, so that's one of the luxuries that you don't have when you're on stage versus being out front. Um, you know, so I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of prep, um, between soundcheck and show. It's always a it's always a uh, gamble is not the right word, but it, it's tough because I don't want to spend too much time and overthink it. Number one, and also blow my ears before the show happens. So I don't want to spend too much time in it, but I do you know, need to calculate for the room and, and things like that um, stuff that's happening. Um, and it's almost impossible to do that. Um, especially I can get a little bit of stuff done when it's just the band, but then once the boss comes in, then it's, you know, 100% focus. Uh, most of the artists that I work with, um, a cue from them is not noticeable to anyone else on earth, but me, because it happens very quick and it's very subtle. And if I look away for a second, I miss it, then they're upset. So I can't, you know, I have to be, have to be on it. So, yeah. you know,
0: um, that's the hardest
1: thing, especially it was never an issue. I, sh- it was a lot less of an issue with analog desks. Um, there's just something about those damn screens that just draw you in. You just want to stare at them, you know, because we spend so much time staring at these screens. Yeah. Uh, so um, I have to keep, you know, look up, look up, look up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know, you know, for engineers that don't have analog experience, you know, the the younger kids, like uh, it's a it's a plague that you know that we all have to face, but they have an extra hard time with it. And so yeah, I need to realize, you know, shows up there, dude. You know. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, are you
0: um when you're sitting, you know, side stage and you're mixing monitors? Are you using studio monitors on your near your console, or using a wedge ears, all three?
1: I pretty much only mix on in ears. Okay, uh, I've never used near fields um, because it doesn't really have any relational value to anything that I'm doing. Uh, you know, again, if somebody wants to do it, I have no issue with anything that anybody does if it works for them. But to me, I've never um, and before. Uh, I would have a Q wedge also. And if I had an artist that was on a pair of wedges, then I'd have a pair of Q wedges. Um, but I did away with that. I haven't had a Q wedge in a couple of years. Uh, That's nice. I just do everything on in-ears. Um, I know what's going on with my wedges in advance. I will take my iPad up on stage. And um, again, what the, what the wedge sounds like to me in monitor world doesn't really help me that much i mean it's better than nothing i guess but it's much more effective to go sit in their chair in front of their wedges in their position on the stage yeah and that's where you know um until i am very comfortable with an artist i will spend a lot of time if not the entire sound check on deck with my ipad and i'm going to put my put my body uncomfortably close to them while they're playing um Usually, you know I have to like warn them to do it because it freaks some people out. and some people I just can't do it because they just are don't like it. Right. um but if if I can get away with it, i will I will put my chest on the back of someone and you know put my head like right next to their head. I'm trying to get again, point of reference is everything when you're doing monitors. If I don't know what they're hearing, then I have what am I mixing? You yeah, because what I want what I think sounds good doesn't matter. <laughs> there's going to be way more 200 in this part of the stage. And, you know, there's going to be, this is happening. And I can hear the bleed of the bass rig next to me when I'm the guitar player. So, you know, when I'm over in modern world, crap, he needs more bass. But when I'm up there, I'm getting crushed by the actual bass rig that's sitting right next to me. So, dude, why are you turning the bass up? So You know, it's like you have to know those things. Um, and the, the only way that you can get them is to put yourself in, in their shoes. And yeah. so until I'm comfortable with what's going on on stage, I'm very lucky that we have a lot of consistency. We always have the same mics. We always have the same PA. We always have the same wedges. We always have the same amplifiers, you know, um, the, the room is the only thing that's different. Yeah. Um, so, uh, which is, you know, it's own handful of challenges, but it's nice that you basically just have one thing to deal with. Um, yeah. instead of, you know, a, a lot of people have completely different everything, every show. And that's, you know, I did that for a very long time. And so I know what that's like and, you know, I could do it if I needed to, but I do feel very lucky that I don't have to do all of that now. Yeah. Um, because that would throw most of my virtual sound check stuff out the window. You know, it doesn't, uh, you know, I would have to only use that day's sound check, which I would still do, but, um. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, uh, sorry, go ahead.
0: Oh, no, I was going to ask, uh, what are you using for in-ears? What, what, uh, are you on JH Ultimate,
1: something else? I, I am a big JH fan and I was a, uh, a JH only guy, um, for a very long time. Um, uh, I've known Jerry for a very long time and he's a great guy. Um, but a couple years ago I met Vitaly from 64 and I was just really impressed Um, not only with his products, but with him and and what he's doing. Um, and so I've been pretty much exclusively using a 12 T's. Um, I still have, uh, I've got Roxanne's, I've got, um, I've got a pair of old 16s that I love, um, J H 16. Uh, I still have several pairs of ultimates. I've got, um, some of the original handmade Jerry Harvey ultimate ears that I still love. Um, I've got Sensophonics, uh, I've got future sonics I've got pretty much all of them um, but uh, you know I try and wear what what my artist wears um, but oh, that's a good idea yeah it's a it's again it's critical because every every earpiece has got its own so I don't always choose and that's why I have so many so you know I've got my bag of like What's the artist wearing? Okay, yeah, I've got those. You know, or I'll make them buy them for me. Yeah, because uh, I—it's crucial. You have to have the same earpieces as the. Um, you know, it's difficult enough because their hearing is different than your hearing. Um, and you know, I will almost always have my artist um, go see an audiologist and get a hearing curve from them, um, and I will use that. Um, to guide my EQ decisions and I have to be well aware of what they're, you know, especially if there's some kind of loss, you know, if, if they've got some kind of hearing damage and they may not even be aware of it. You know, there are millions of people, we all have hearing damage and most of us aren't aware of what it is or and rarely where it is. I'm very, very blessed that my sister is an audiologist. She's actually an MD audiologist. Um, and so, and she's much older than me. So from a very young age, was hammering into me not only to take care of my hearing but you know understanding of hearing loss and you know um frequency response and all those kinds of things and about the, the permanence of tinnitus and you know those kinds of things um so i mean those are more things that people don't think about so your point of reference you know uh drew talks I don't know if he did it on your show, but he has this whole thing about reference and it's really fascinating. Um, he, he taught one of, I had him guest teach one of my classes at NAM this year and it was really great. And his main focus of the topic was reference. And so he has a reference mix and he judges everything off of that so that if his reference, his, his concept is that if his reference is right, then it doesn't matter if it's the front fill or the main PA or the broadcast feed or, you know, the emergency feed to, you know, this or that. If the reference is right, then the mix is right. And it's very interesting. I've never heard someone do that in a front of house position. In monitors, it's a little different, but again, that reference is everything. If you don't have a point of reference, then you you're flying blind and you're not going to be effective at what you're doing because you're basically at that point you have no choice but to mix for yourself and that's never a good place to be for monitors yeah so job (laughs) yeah you're not supposed to be yourself yeah Uh, so yeah the you have to have um you have to have the same earpieces as the uh i mean if you if you can't then you can't you know Uh, when i when i say that it's not like i'm the first one to say that if you can't do a show without a certain kind of mixer or a certain microphone or a certain speaker or whatever, then you're not an engineer. But, um, if you want to, you know, do the best job possible, that, that's an important one. So I like them all. They all have great things. Um, but I've been really impressed with, um, 64. Um, I think if I'm going to listen, if I'm going to listen to Dave Brubeck on the plane, I pull out my JH 16s. Um, but if I'm going to have a loud dynamic show coming at me, the A12s just really give me an accurate depiction of what it's like to be in the trenches. They may not be as pretty as other stuff, but they, they're more real, you uh, know? Yeah. Um, and again, that's, that's just me and, and the work that I do. And it's different for every band, every singer. So it's hard to say, but you know, yeah, that's where I'm at. Uh, that's cool. Well, hey, uh
0: we're at our time limit here. I like I said, I could talk three times, four times longer than what you talked. So um I would love I to be
1: getting... uh ramble on I tend to uh you know uh, as as you are, I'm passionate about it and so I tend to carry on. So thanks for bearing with me on that. Oh right. no.
0: It's it's absolutely fascinating. Um yeah, I, I wanna keep talking to you in the future, so we'll we'll do another episode if you're open to it a little bit down the road. But absolutely. Cool. I'm, I'm
1: available to anyone. If you want to, if you want to post my cell phone number to your listeners, I have no issue with that. You know, I, I don't, uh, I don't hide from anyone. Uh, everyone has my email, my cell phone. Um, I try and be um, very accessible to anyone, especially, especially if they're mixing on D DLive. Um, I would much prefer someone wake me up on a Sunday morning than have a bad day on my desk. So, um, you know, any, anytime, anywhere, anyone, I'm always happy to talk about audio. So I appreciate you giving me a venue for that.
0: Oh no, it's uh, it's, it's the benefits all on my side of the microphone. Believe me. Um, and we will put some opinion, but all right. (laughs) (laughs) We'll, uh, we'll get your, uh, whatever you'd like to share. We'll put that on the show notes so that people will have it, um, at our website and on Facebook and all of those fun outlets. But yeah. Um, banks, thanks. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for sharing all of your experiences and information. It's, it's really invaluable. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Steve. It was fun. It was great to talk to you. Yeah. Call me anytime.
0: Yeah, will do. Um, so that was Mike Bangs uh, with Alan and Heath and probably every large tour you've ever heard of or been to. Um, the guy that's mixing the monitors for those artists is Mike. And if you're on a D Live, you know Mike well. So thanks again, Mike. Uh, we will talk to you soon. And that's a wrap on today's show. I hope that you found it equal parts entertaining and informative. This show is recorded on an Allen & Heath D-Live system with Shure microphones and Waves tracks live. I use Skype, FaceTime, and Facebook Messenger to meet with my guests, so the occasional robot voice is to be expected. Thanks again to Merrick Goodwin for the awesome show music, and to you for listening. Be sure to visit the Mixmasters website at www.mixmasterspodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend. Mixmasters can also be found on Facebook and Instagram at Mixmasters Podcast. That's all one word. Give a like, follow us, and never miss out on new episodes.